Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 17 through 22. Actually, we're starting in 18, but I wanted to backtrack to 17 just to get us up to speed in our context. Because you say I am rich, this is the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the only church that Jesus had absolutely no commendation for. And I believe, we talked about how all these seven churches have a historical perspective. They had an immediate context. These were seven churches in existence in the first century in what is now known as modern-day Turkey. So we see the gospel spread up from Israel to the north. There was a major impact in that region of Turkey. Interestingly enough, today is Turkey is a majority Muslim nation. So there was an immediate application for each of the seven churches. And then we've seen how each of the churches fits into a historical time block over the past 2,000 years. And then I've also shared that we can see elements of these various churches spread throughout the body of Christ. But I believe the predominant church that we're now seeing in the last days, and interestingly, this church comes last on the list, Laodicea, the lukewarm church, that is the dominant church in the world today. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing... And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this final passage of Revelation chapter 3, Laodicea, the lukewarm church, Lord, give us insight, give us understanding, give us wisdom that we might avoid falling into this trap that the Laodiceans fell into. Lord, impart your truth to us today by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he counsels them, having discredited their ideas, I'm rich and become wealthy, need of nothing. They thought they had it all. They were self-sufficient. And as has been the case for thousands of years, they mistook all this prosperity for God's blessing. And that's, there is a popular doctrine today called the prosperity gospel. And even Jesus, his disciples were confused about this. When Jesus told them, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples said, Oy vey! Who then can be saved? Because the prevailing belief and mentality, even in Jesus' day, was that the wealthy were the ones that God really loved. He was blessing them. Therefore, he loved them more. They were more in line for a place in heaven because of their wealth, their earthly wealth. Jesus says that's exactly the opposite of what's true. They said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, what's 
impossible for man is possible with God. They, they thought that earthly wealth and prosperity equated with spiritual wealth. And the Bible teaches just the opposite. So he's telling them, you need the real gold refined in the fire, the true heavenly treasure that comes from enduring the fiery trials. This is where we left off last week. The true heavenly treasure that lasts for eternity. That is laid up in heaven for us as we endure the fiery trials of this life that come from standing firm for Christ and the truth of His Word. You see, a lukewarm believer doesn't really encounter much opposition. The enemy actually will pretty much leave you alone if you're lukewarm, if you're not really a threat to his kingdom of darkness. The Philadelphia church, the church of brotherly love, the missionary church, Revelation 3.8, Jesus says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, the church of the open door. And no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. These qualities were severely lacking in the church of Laodicea. The Laodiceans had forsaken their heavenly treasures for earthly ones. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. No matter how hard we try to build these things up, hang on to them, keep them, they rust, they fall apart, and we can't take them with us, can we? They're temporary. Jesus says, don't focus on the temporary, focus on the eternal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, here, here you go, folks, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're told in the Old Testament that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, searching for those whose hearts are fully toward Him. Fully toward Him. James talks about not being double-minded. In the Bible, the mind and the heart are interconnected. If you're double-minded, then your heart is probably divided as well. God wants us to be of one heart, one mind. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So He encourages them, by gold refined in the fire... Again, how do you purchase that gold? By standing firm in this life. Standing firm, not backing down, not giving in. Focusing on the eternal. And then he mentions that they should also uh, be clothed in white garments. White garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. We mentioned last week that wool was a major product of this area of Laodicea, but they were especially famous for a black garment made out of black wool, which is in direct contrast to what Jesus is saying here. What they really needed was pure white clothing, those robes of righteousness that we can only receive from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke 9, 29, when Jesus is there on the Mount of Transfiguration, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening revealing his heavenly glory for a brief moment there. Revelation 3, 4, and 5, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, 
for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So again, the contrast between their self-sufficiency, their earthly wealth, we have need of nothing, we've got it all together, no. You don't have clothing fit for heaven. You're not dressed properly. In the parable of the wedding banquet, remember? Jesus calls all these people to the wedding feast. This guy gets in. Uh, the guy at the door says, Hey man, you can't come in. You're not properly dressed. You don't have the right garments on. Those robes of righteousness, those white garments. Revelation 19:14. As Christ returns with the saints... The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. We must have those proper garments if we are to enter into the presence of the Lord and dwell with him for all eternity. He will impart them to us as we put our faith and our trust in him and as we make the determination to be overcomers. He who endures to the end will be saved. Again, we're not saved by our good works, but enduring to the end is evidence that you possess a true saving faith. He says that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Remember Adam and Eve? All of a sudden, after they ate of that forbidden fruit, they became aware of their own nakedness. Up to that point, they didn't know the difference. They were the only two human beings around. They were just there in the glory that God created, what we call today the birthday suit. They didn't know the difference. But once they had eaten of the forbidden fruit and they had tasted of the knowledge of good and evil, which they as mortal, or not mortals, they were immortal at that point until they partook of the fruit. They became aware of their own sinfulness, their nakedness, and they tried to cover it with fig leaves, remember? That didn't work. Only God can provide the proper clothing. Genesis 2.25, before the fall, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were naked before God in their innocence. He was their garment. He was their clothing. But then in chapter 3, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. See, God never intended for them to have their eyes opened to evil. And that's why they were forbidden to partake of that fruit. And they knew that they were naked then, and they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves coverings. So their sin was followed by an immediate sense of guilt. Do you know that feeling? <laughs> Especially as a believer. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And yet for some crazy reason, you decide to sin anyway, right? But nobody here has ever done that. <laughs> but what happens when you're a believer when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you deliberately decide to disobey him and sin this is how the devil works he draws people into his trap and even non-believers and he presents just like he presented the apple to Eve it's, it's beautiful to look at I'm sure it tastes as good as it looks. It's going to make me wise and so forth. And then once you take the plunge, that's when the devil plunges in the knife. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, 
illicit sex, pornography, you name it. He entices you, and then once you've taken the bait, James talks about this in chapter 1 too, by the way. Once you've taken the bait, you've been hooked. What happens to that fish once he gets hooked? You reel him in, right? You uh, take the hook out if you can. If not, you just cut the line, and then you gut him, right? That's what the devil does with us. Their sin was followed by an immediate sense of guilt. Oh, and it's, it's, oh, man, it's just horrible, isn't it? You want to flagellate yourself, you know? And that, the devil's loving it. Now you're in torment. The good news, we can confess our sins, we can repent. 1 John 1, 9. I pray this verse often. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is a God of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. The enemy will try to put you under guilt and condemnation and convince you it's all over now, baby blue. You had it. You had it all. You were saved. You had Jesus. You had God. You had forgiveness. But now you've blown it. That's what he'll try to do to you. To try to discourage you, to get you to give up and say, there's no hope for me now. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's always hope in Christ. There's always the opportunity to confess your sins, to repent, to be restored unto him, no matter what you've done. So their sin was followed by an immediate sense of guilt, which they tried to cover up with the fig leaves. That didn't work. Genesis 3.21, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. The significance here should be obvious. What God did was he shed the blood of innocent animals in order to clothe Adam and Eve. That was the first blood sacrifice. Just as the fig leaves were inadequate for Adam and Eve, the fleshly garments of the Laodiceans were inadequate to put them in right standing before God. You know how, sadly, I guess it depends on what kind of church you go to, but I know traditionally, historically, the church often became a place where people would try to put on their, you know, you know best clothing, fashion show kind of a thing, and it became kind of a trying to outdo one another, and people who didn't have as much money were embarrassed they couldn't dress as nice as the, the wealthier folks. James talks about that too, by the way, in his book. Giving preferential treatment to the wealthy and so forth. We don't have that issue here. But the Laodiceans, again, thought that their glorious garments were evidence of their tremendous spirituality and nothing could be further from the truth. And then finally, next, he says, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And we mentioned also that Laodicea was a center for making medicines, including a tablet that was powdered, mixed with water, and then smeared on the eyes for eye disease. But this salve would not cure their spiritual blindness. And it reminds us of so many today who have put their faith and their hope and technology 
Boy, have we seen the destructive side of technology as of late, have we not? Put their faith in so-called science and technology. Only Jesus can open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. And I pray that sometimes for certain individuals. Father, open their blinded eyes and their deafened ears that they might see and hear the truth. Targeted prayers, folks. You've heard me talk about this before. Jesus is targeting the Laodiceans with these very specific analogies. But when we pray for those that we're concerned about, those near and dear to us, those that we are concerned may not be a part of God's eternal kingdom, pray specific prayers. Pray for the gift of repentance. Pray for the gift of faith. These are gifts from God. Just last night in my evening prayers, I was praying, thanking God for making himself known to me at such an early age. As a, as a preschooler, God made himself known to me, and I've known him my whole life, and I thank him and I praise him for that. You look around this world and you see how many people don't know him, how many people don't believe. Don't ever take that for granted, what he's done for you. To make himself known to you. It's no small thing. It's the biggest thing of all. Only Jesus can open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. Pray for God to open their blinded eyes and their deafened ears. Remember how Paul had scales? And he had the scales removed from his eyes? That he might see the truth. He was blinded. By that light, when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. But then his spiritual eyes were opened, as well as his physical eyes. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Now what's the significance of this at this point? What is Jesus saying here? That in spite of the fact that they're lukewarm, and he's about to spew them out of his mouth, He's saying that he still loves them. This lukewarm, backslidden church and the people in it. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He's rebuking and chastening them because he still loves them and there's still hope for them. Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Sometimes Christians fall into this misconception we're having difficulties, we're having struggles, opposition, and we blame the devil when in actuality it's God chastening us, scourging us because he loves us. So that's something we need, you know, when you encounter situations like that, we need to be in the word, we need to be in prayer to realize, wait a minute, I don't, this isn't the devil. The devil can't do anything to me unless God allows it. Do you know that? We have protection. Draw near to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Too often, we attribute all of our difficulties, our trials and tribulations to the devil. Number one, we create many of those problems ourselves. Number two, if God allows it, then he intends to use it for good in our lives. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Laodicea, lukewarm believers. I haven't given up on you. You're not in a good place. 
You're in a very dangerous position right now, actually, Laodicea. But I still love you. I'm rebuking you. I'm chastening you. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It's the Greek word, zealotes, zealotes, zealotes. It's probably the more proper pronunciation. It's where we get that English word zealot. Remember, Simon the zealot was one of the followers of Christ. It literally means boiling, most eagerly desirous of, zealous for a thing, to acquire a thing, zealous of, to defend and uphold a thing, vehemently contending for a thing, serious, sincere, sober, determined, and intense. Boy, there's a lot packed into that word, isn't there? Therefore, be zealous, zealotes. In other words, what's the antidote for Laodicea? What was the antidote for their lukewarmness? Get fired up, get serious. The only hope for those apostate Christians, or any apostate Christians, the ones that are drifting away, becoming lukewarm, the only hope is to treat that lukewarmness as a life and death matter. Jesus challenges them to make a choice. So once again, it comes down to choices, folks. Again, one of the devil's great deceptions is to try to get people to live their life based on feelings and emotions. You can't trust them. They will deceive you. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. You can't trust your feelings and emotions. You have to make choices based upon the truth of God's Word. Jesus challenges the church in Laodicea, the people in the church of Laodicea, make a choice to get on fire for God. It's not about feelings. It's a choice. And repent. And in order to get on fire for God, we have to come to grips with our sinfulness and we have to repent before God. It involves a change of mind. Their mindset had become one of compromise, comfort, and conformity to the world. Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans eleven twelve, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Following Christ is not about feelings and emotions. It's about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I, I suspect as believers, we've all struggled at times with this issue knowing what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The way that we're able to determine that is by the transforming, the renewing of our minds through the power of God's Word. David, in the Psalms, said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. We can't hope to live a victorious life in Christ to be true disciples of Christ if we're not engaged in that process of being transformed 
By, not by the renewing of our emotions or our feelings, but by the renewing of our minds. The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, again, the connection between the mind and the heart, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Again, that old expression, if you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. Very applicable to what we're going through right now. Just to throw this in as a bonus. You've probably heard this anyway, but it's been quoted in various ways, attributed to Joseph Stalin in particular, the former great communist leader of Russia, Soviet Union. It doesn't matter who votes, it matters who counts the votes. Have you heard that one? Okay, I just thought I'd throw that in there. And guess who at the end of the day counts the votes? God. And there's only one vote that matters, and that's Jesus' vote. When you stand before God, it's just like the uh, Roman emperors in the uh, Colosseum. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, we want the vote from Jesus to be thumbs up, right? And it will be if you put your faith and your trust in him as the savior of your soul. At the end of the day, that's the only vote that really matters. And there won't be any problem with any uh, uh, illegal ballots, fake ballots, bad software. It'll be this or this. One vote. Father, welcome them into your eternal kingdom. They belong to me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? And just to make this final point, we aren't transformed by what we feel, but by what we think. So it's just the opposite. People would probably try to say, oh, Christians are just brainwashed, brain dead. It's just the opposite. Barry Maguire, Eve of Destruction, became a Christian, became a great Christian music artist. I was in concert with him several times. He said that, um, you know, yeah, people accuse me of being brainwashed and all that. He says, yeah, but at least I know who washed my brain. <laughs> okay, verse 20. You've all heard this one many times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Behold, here I am. That old expression, if God seems far away, guess who moved? Even though these lukewarm believers had excluded Jesus, he was still hanging around waiting for them to come back to him. Here I am. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, what's amazing about this, we, you know, and it's not, I don't think it's improper or inappropriate to apply this to the individual to say he's knocking at the door of your heart, but in actuality, in the context here, he's knocking at the door of the church. Do you see that? How incredible that Jesus would find himself outside his own church, but how gracious that he would still be trying to get in and to say, hey, have it your way. See you later. Burger King believers. <laughs> Bye-bye. 
He's appealing to the worldly compromising believers in the church to return and enjoy full fellowship with him. If anyone hears my voice, it's up to each individual to make sure he or she has ears to hear what God is saying. Some people try to live their spiritual lives vicariously through other people. Well, yeah, I, I don't really go to church, but uh, my mom and my dad do. And I know they're putting a good word in for me with the man upstairs. No, you need your own personal relationship with God. No one else can get saved for you. It's your decision. It's your choice. Other people can encourage you and help you along the way. I had family members that took me to church as a young child, and that's how I came to Christ. But I had to make my own choice, my own decision, to pray that sinner's prayer and receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And even if you're in a church where the pastors and leaders of the church are taking it in the wrong direction, each of us will still stand accountable before God for our response to Him. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. So, I think there are many people who've heard his voice, but they've chosen to ignore it. I wouldn't recommend that. It should result in our opening the door of our hearts and minds to him and giving him his rightful place, which is on the throne of our lives. And so it goes from this corporate rebuke of Laodicea the church as a whole had become lukewarm, but within that group, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is the highest honor and greatest expression of intimacy. Like the Last Supper, Jesus said that he earnestly desired, he had a strong desire to have that final meal with his disciples before the crucifixion where he would of course institute communion the lord's supper and what he's saying is he wants to commune with us to fellowship with us to share all things with us koinonia communion and if we're not experiencing this deep fellowship with christ it's definitely not because of a lack of desire on his part now the devil might try to convince you of that yeah, I guess you're saved, but God doesn't really like you that much. Now, God loves Billy Graham, or Billy Graham's not with us anymore, Franklin Graham. God loves James Dobson. doesn't really like you that much. No, he loves each and every one of us. He wants to have deep communion, deep fellowship with us. That's his desire. And he says, if you will... If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in. I will dine with you. I will sup with you. I will have fellowship with you. Here's the deal. The Laodiceans were practicing some great religion. I tend to define religion. It can have a positive meaning. It means that you're diligent about something. You're religious. You're committed. You're dedicated. But on the whole, religion is really man's efforts to reach God, which are never good enough Christianity is God's efforts to reach man through his son Jesus Christ it's religion versus relationship and the Laodiceans 
were practicing some great religion, but they lost all intimacy and relationship with Christ. I think this is a wonderful, glorious message for, for those who think that they or feel that they've fallen too far to come back. I've seen many people like that down through the years. I believe my father was one of those, had come to Christ in his youth, spent many years not following the Lord, contracted a terminal illness that resulted in an untimely death at the age of 40. The good news is, two weeks before he died, he recommitted his life to Christ. But just knowing, I was only 12 when he passed, but knowing what I know about him and what my mother told me subsequent to his death, I believe he was one of those who resisted coming back because he didn't believe he could, that he'd fallen too far, that God would never take him back. And there are multitudes of people like that. You have to know that's a lie from the pit of hell. God will take you back. He will always take you back. He's knocking at the door. He's inviting you to open that door and welcome him back in. I would propose to you that it would be hard for anyone to fall farther away than these Laodiceans had fallen, but Jesus still pours out his heart to them, compelling them to return. And then verse 21, To him who overcomes. So even in the midst of a lukewarm church, Jesus acknowledges that there will be some overcomers. He always has a faithful remnant. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Wow. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So once again, we've seen in every one of these messages to the seven churches that the promises of eternal reward and blessing are to those who overcome. It's a day-by-day, step-by-step, moment-by-moment relationship with God that we must pursue for the rest of our earthly days. Not saying that we will always be perfect, far from it. We know we won't. But always being quick to confess our sins, to repent, to take up that cross once again and follow Him. As we endeavor to be overcomers, we face some almost overwhelming temptations to give in to complacency, apathy, lethargy, comfort like the church of Laodicea, to forfeit a vital, intense relationship with Jesus for the pleasures and treasures of this world. That's what it means to be an overcomer, to not give in to those things. And the promise is, again, all those things are temporary anyway, right? Anything that this world has to offer is temporary, no matter how wonderful it might be. I will grant to sit with me on my throne. When God restores, He restores all the way, doesn't He? He doesn't say, now, if you Laodiceans get your act together, I'll still let you into heaven. But you better know you're going to be in the suburbs. In those new projects that Biden's working on. Okay? <laughs> I just can't help it. I say, <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> the 
No matter what you've done or haven't done, no matter if you're lukewarm, there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. You can't help but be reminded of the prodigal son. What a classic story from Jesus. Parable. Luke 15, 22. Remember, we know the story. This guy is this arrogant, flippant, young snowflake. <laughs> Millennial? No. <laughs> he doesn't want to wait for his dad to croak. He wants his inheritance now. While he's young and he can go out and do his thing. So his dad lovingly, graciously gives him the inheritance. He goes out, squanders it on wine, women, and song, prostitutes, drugs, by, you know, to, in a modern analogy. Where does he wind up? In the pig pen, right? He loses it all. Man, he's reached the bottom of the barrel. He's eating the same slop that the pigs are eating. And the Bible says he came to his senses. Again, it wasn't about feelings or emotions. He came to his senses. Wait a minute. Even the servants in my father's house live better than how I'm living right now. I'm going to go back. I'm going to humble myself. I'll just take on the role of a servant. I'll be just glad to be back with my dad in his house. But what happens? The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. That's the heart of God, folks. That's the heart of God. I hope that this brings great encouragement to anyone here today who's feeling discouraged, downhearted, feeling maybe you've drifted away from God, not just in this room, but on the Internet, YouTube, Facebook, wherever it might be. God loves you. No matter who you are, what you've done, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If any man hears his voice and opens the door, he says, I will come into you and dine with you and you with me. He wants to have deep, personal, intimate fellowship with you. He loves you. He says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Can't get much more intimate than that. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, how did that work for Jesus? He overcame the greatest obstacle any man has ever faced. He bore the sins of the entire human race on the cross of Calvary. That's what he overcame. He overcame sin and death. And he sat down with his father, our father, on his throne. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, if you don't have your eyes on the eternal prize, it's going to be difficult to get through the trials and tribulations of this life. The joy set before him. Jesus looked and saw beyond the cross to glory in heaven with the Father. That's what we need to be looking at, especially in these times we're living in now. For the joy set before him, 
He endured the cross, despising the shame. Wasn't enjoyable. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'd say it was all worth it for him and for us. And so as the great overcomer, he's ready, willing, and able, folks, to help us overcome. When we talk about this every week, because it's in all these letters to the seven churches, to him who overcomes. And it shouldn't be something that would discourage you because he is dedicated and committed to helping you overcome. He's not leaving you alone in this process. He promised to be with us every step of the way. He's ready and willing to help us and able to help us overcome so we can inherit the blessings that he's promised us. Jude one twenty four. now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You ever feel like, I just can't do it? You're right. No argument there. You can't, but he can. And he will if you let him. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. There again, those robes of righteousness, the faultlessness, the purity of Christ imparted to all who put their faith in him. So, once again, as we conclude... Revelation chapter 3, the final church, the seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you for the dynamic, powerful messages sent out to these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Lord, we know those messages are just as much for us today as they were for those churches 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we pray that you would give us those ears to hear. Lord, that you would speak loud and clear to us, to our hearts and minds, that you would help us to be overcomers. I know you will. You promised. Lord, you want us to overcome. You don't want us to fail. You don't want us to fall short. The devil does. So we ask you to help us to keep our eyes on you, help us to keep our eyes on the prize, the eternal riches of your glorious eternal kingdom. Anything this world has to offer, Father, pales in comparison. It's all garbage compared to what you have in store for us. And we thank you that we have an eternal citizenship in your eternal kingdom, that we are not of this world we're just aliens and strangers passing through. We look forward to spending eternity with you, Father. We pray that you'd help each one of us to be ready, to be prepared. You said you're able to keep us from stumbling and you are able to present us faultless before our Father in heaven. That's what we desire. That's what we long for. That's what we look forward to. Thank you, Lord. Now, just everyone keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. I want to lift up those in prayer this morning that have a special need, special request. If you'd raise your hand, I'd like to pray for you right now. Whatever it might be, health, relationships, finances, God's got it all. Whatever it is that you need, he's got it. Father, I lift up each one right now. You know each heart, you know each person, you know each need. Lord, those that need healing, we pray for healing. You are we want God who heals. You're the great physician. 
Lord, what the doctors can't do, you can do. What medicine can't do, you can do. We pray for healing for those who are in need of healing. We pray for those for encouragement for those who need encouragement, for strength, for guidance, for wisdom. Lord, for those who need financial help. We're living in tumultuous, perilous times. We pray that you provide for each of your children. And Lord, where possible, as you make those needs made known, that we would be able to help in that process as well. We know you work through your people. So Lord, as we lift these prayer requests to you this morning, we also acknowledge and recognize we have a part to play. Help us to be sensitive to one another, to each other's needs. Lord, your word tells us when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. Help us to be that kind of a church where we can celebrate each other's blessings and we can share each other's burdens. But Lord, I lift each one of these up to you now. Pray that not one person here today would leave discouraged, disheartened, confused, but your perfect peace would come upon each one, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus with that peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, Lord. Now we ask you to receive our final offering of worship this morning as Nikki leads us in our closing song. In Jesus' name, amen.